The Explore Oregon podcast is brought to you by the Statesman Journal, newspaper of Salem and the state capital since 1851. I'm your host, Zachar Ness, and in each episode, producer David Davis and I highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. In this edition, we're talking about a long-distance hiking trail that showcases one of the most spectacular and least visited parts of Oregon. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. Across the United States, people have a very specific image of what Oregon looks like as a state. And it almost always includes lush rainforest, ocean coast, and snow-capped volcanoes. But the truth is, about half of Oregon is actually high desert, a sprawling landscape of canyons and buttes covered by sagebrush and juniper. Earlier this decade, a group of advocates for Oregon's desert decided the best way to showcase this overlooked region was with a long-distance trail. And so, the Oregon Desert Trail was born. In this edition of the Explore Oregon podcast, we're going to talk about this 750-mile route that travels all the way from Lake Oahe State Park near the Idaho border to just outside Bend. Zach actually traveled to Central Oregon to speak with Renee Patrick with the Oregon Natural Desert Association about the route. But before we get to that, I'm curious, what stuck out to you about this? Well, I've been fascinated by this idea for a long time because I've spent a decent amount of time in Oregon's high desert and have been really blown away by what's out there. I mean, the canyons of the Oahe, the Steens, the Heart Mountains, they are remarkable. It really feels like you're closer to the Grand Canyon than the Oregon coast. And the idea of connecting all those places as a way to sort of highlight all these cool places that people often missed was just a really interesting idea. Yeah, but this isn't a trail in the traditional sense, right? How does it compare with Oregon's two other long-distance pathways, the Pacific Crest Trail and the Oregon Coast Trail? Well, there's a few similarities. So obviously the length. All three are multiple hundreds of miles and require a lot of planning before you get started. And all three of them can also be experienced in segments. So picking out your favorite 25 to 50 mile and doing that kind of in chunks. That's sort of where the similarities end. The Oregon Desert Trail It's often called a trail that's not really a trail because there are long stretches of cross-country navigating where you're not following anything except a landmark, you know, on the horizon. You're also following roads. It's kind of a mishmash of, of pathways and things like that. There's also issues on the Oregon Desert Trail like finding water that just don't crop up on the other two trails. So if you're looking for a very challenging route, kind of the ultimate adventure, this is a great option. All right, let's get to the interview you recorded earlier this month in Bend with Renee Patrick, one of just a handful of people who've completed the entire route. Hi, Renee. Thanks for taking some time. Hi, Zach. Great to be here. (laughs) All right, so let's start off with this. Um, What is the Oregon Desert Trail? If you're going to describe it to somebody from the Willamette Valley who hadn't heard of it, how would you describe it? Yes, the Oregon Desert Trail is a 750-mile-long trail that's not a trail. Yeah. I can explain a little bit more about that later, but essentially it helps introduce hikers, bikers, horseback riders to Eastern Oregon. It's often a landscape even a lot of Western Oregonians haven't visited or know about, so through this route we're trying to engage people with the eastern side of the mountains. Yeah, that's, that's actually an interesting way of describing it because, you know, people think of Oregon, it's lush, it's green, but like the vast majority of the state is desert. Correct, yeah, and it's, it's really a place you have to 
get out often on foot to see and truly appreciate when you're driving 60, 70 miles an hour down Highway 20. You really can't take in all there is out there. Um, so we're trying to demystify it a little bit. Okay, so give me some sort of uh, nuts and bolts. So where, where does it start, where does it end, and, and how many miles are we talking about? Sure, so the western terminus is just 20 miles east of Bend in the Badlands Wilderness. And then it does, I like to call it a big W throughout southeastern Oregon, um, almost touching the California border by Lakeview, going up over Abert Rim, over to Heart Mountain Refuge, to the Steens, then down again to near Denio, Nevada, up again into the Trout Creek and in Oregon Canyon Mountains, and down again to McDermott, Nevada, and then up the last 200 miles in the Owyhee Canyonlands. So the eastern terminus is at Lake Owyhee State Park, not too far from the Idaho border in Boise. Gotcha. And so I have to think, you know, when you have that sort of like circuitous sort of route, um, it was it was designed that way. Like you guys picked it to to like emphasize all the all the best stuff out there. Is that kind of how it came together? Exactly. It was not only the most interesting features across the high desert, but also areas Anna's been working in. For example, it goes through Steens Mountain Wilderness, which was designated as Wilderness in 2000, an effort that Onda was very involved in. In fact, where it, the Western Terminus and the Badlands Wilderness, um, that is celebrating 10 years of wilderness designation this year. So it's a way to sort of highlight these places and the work we do and the work we hope to do in other areas across the high desert. Very cool. And talk a little bit more about how it's it's a route, because you know some people hear trail and they think you know Pacific Crest Trail, Appalachian Trail. So how is this different from from that? Yeah, well, I call it a virtual route, meaning you will find no signage that says Oregon Desert Trail out there, and often there is no trail. So when Onda went about trying to decide where this route would trail route, however you call it, would go. Um, they looked at the landscape, what's the existing infrastructure. So we actually found two national recreation trails, the Fremont National Recreation Trail and the Desert Trail. Um, and so they connected into those. There happens to be trail in the Badlands Wilderness. And then there are a huge network of dirt roads that cross the high desert. So looking at those two track dirt roads as a hiking path and then connecting those aspects with uh, some cross-country travel. And when I say cross-country, it's often these wide open sagebrush sea type landscapes where you can see a very clear um, destination or a high point that you walk towards. Or for example, along the edge of Abert Rim, which is a 2,500 foot um, fault black mountain, you're walking the edge of that for about 10 miles. And that's considered cross-country. Sure, and so it's a combination of, uh, so it sounds like roads, there's some trail, and then there's, there's cross-country. Those are the three primary things that comprise the route? Yep, yep, and I, I like to think it's paced out pretty well. Like you'll, you might do 10 miles on a dirt road and then have five miles cross-country and then a little bit of trail. So it, it gives you a lot of variety as you're moving throughout the landscape. And with that, there's different challenges that come from weaving in and out of sagebrush or um, walking um, on a dirt road, which may, some people may think is monotonous, but hey, it goes a lot faster on a bike. So <laughs> maybe you wanna bike that dirt road. Okay, gotcha. Um, so from a wide angle view, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about some of the segments later. Um, what's cool about the trail and where the travels? Like, why, why hike this, this route? What's, what's cool about it? 
Well, as a, a thru-hiker myself, I've hiked a lot of the long trails in the country, and I think what's hard to find on trails like the Pacific Crest Trail is solitude, and that's something the Oregon Desert Trail has in abundance. Um, most hikers say they see more pronghorn than humans, and that is a positive thing. Like that's the, If that's the experience you're interested in, um, there's a lot of that available. There are also night skies, unlike um, what you can see from you know, the western side of the state. Of We have the largest block of, of sky without light pollution, so you can see the stars. There are hot springs. We go by a number of hot springs. Um, there's, just, there's geological wonders. Some of the oldest human history in the whole country is in eastern Oregon. So there's a variety of things to interest you as you're hiking along the way. Very cool. Um, so let's step back a little bit. How did it become a reality? How old is it? And so take me through like where the idea came from and when it became, I guess, a thing for lack of a better term. Sure. So our ex former executive director, Brent Fenty, had this idea in 2010 he actually is also a Pacific Crest Trail through hiker, so I think that helped inform his idea a little bit. But he thought, what if we could connect the areas we've been working in um, with a trail or a path? And so then over the next three years, uh, my predecessor, Jeremy Fox, was hired to figure out where this would go. Where is it? Where is the route? Where would the water be? How would people travel in this landscape? And then hundreds and hundreds of hours of volunteer time went out into hiking it, putting together a guidebook and a map set. So we're actually celebrating five years this spring. Um, the materials were first released to the public in 2014. So in just five years, um, we've grown the materials quite a bit. I came in in the winter of 2015 and reflected on all the past hiking experience that I have, probably about 10,000 miles and other trails, and put together a bunch of new resources, all these, these things to help people be successful, to help find water, to help with navigation. You know, it's unique because, you know, usually when you think of the Pacific Crest Trail, they're all very intentional, but it's interesting that uh, you guys came up with this idea and were like, you know, what's the best way to connect people to the high desert? build a trail through there and uh, that's that's a, it's, a, it's a novel way of doing it. So I went and hiked the whole thing and pack rafted part of it in 2016 and the option to have this immersive desert experience where you're spending I spent over six weeks by myself hiking through this landscape and because there's often no trail or no signs you have to be incredibly aware um, and pay attention to your surroundings and the next water source. But that level of attention really gets you deeper in touch with what's happening around you. And you have developed this like really deep connection to the landscape um, because it is so challenging, because you have to be you know, aware all the time. And I think that is you know, a really incredible, unique aspect of a, of a route like this, is you will know Eastern Oregon after you hike this on a much deeper level. Because you kind of have to, right? Because you're, you're navigating from you know, point to point, so you have to know, okay, that's, you know, that's that landmark over there, that's where I find water. You know, instead of just being on a trail, and you don't have to pay attention to surroundings as much. Correct, and I, you know, all the other trail experiences I had, I was never really aware of what forest I was in, what wilderness area I was in. 
Um, but that's something I tried to infuse in the materials. So when you're hiking through Steen's Mountain Wilderness, we try to explain what is unique about this place. Um, why does it have the protection it does? What, you know, what animals and plants are found here? Um, but you also get a real sense of the geology of it, of the basin and range topography. You're literally going between mountain range and then you go to a, a, a flat desert like the Alvord Playa and then you walk to the next mountain range and it's a really unique way to see it but through your feet. It feels like more than even the Pacific Crest Trail or those long distance ones, there's, there's things that you need to do in planning for this kind of trip. So what are the, what are the big ones? I'm thinking water since we're dealing with the, wet, with the desert, but there's gotta be a lot else. So what would be like the three things you really have to study up on before undertaking, like if you wanted to do the whole route? Sure, well, um, funny you mentioned three things. Just this winter, I, I did a big um, revision of all the materials and included in that was a skills rating of the challenges that people will encounter along the route. So now for each of our sections, we have 25 sections that make up the entire 750 miles. You have a rating on water availability, you have a rating on the navigation, and you have a rating on the terrain. So those are three aspects that um, you may have a beautiful section of trail like in the Badlands Wilderness, but no water. So that's an easy rating on the, the navigation, but a very challenging rating on the water availability. And then there are also other materials I developed. Probably the most important one is the, the data book water sheet. So this is a document that lists all the waypoints, the distances between waypoints. This all matches our, our maps and our guidebook. But then where there is water on the route, it's rated between reliable, questionable, and unreliable. So, the, so in each segment, there is a, there's a water rating saying that water is difficult to find or easy to find. There's a navigation rating. And there, was there a third one? Yeah, so the third one is terrain. Because okay. um, even within the term cross-country, we have a vast variety of of conditions. So cross country might mean, like I mentioned before, walking on the edge of Abert Rim. It's a very clear cliff. You know where to go and where not to go. But then cross country also is in West Little Owyhee Canyon, which is um, really a slot canyon, which no matter what time of year you're in there, you're scrambling and you're swimming in deep pools. So that those two cross country sections are very different in their challenges. Um, and one is much easier than the other. Gotcha, makes perfect sense. So I, I wanted to ask you about this because I, you know, Oregon Field Guide did an episode and I saw, uh, you know, some video of Sage watching with, a, with an umbrella over her head. Um, is, that, is that far for the course? Would you recommend bringing an umbrella? That is probably the number one gear recommendation I make, <laughs> yes. A sun umbrella, um, there are sections with absolutely no trees. And so if you happen to be out there, say in middle of June, um, it could be really, really uh, intense with the sun. And turns out these umbrellas work great in the rain too. <laughs> so it's actually, you know, the Oregon desert is a high desert. And so it's colder more months out of the year than it is hot. And you can get um, rainstorms or snowstorms any time of year. Um, a fun thing that I like to do with my umbrella um, is I've created bug netting that covers the umbrella and has elastic at the waist. So when I'm in a very buggy area, 
at the southern end of the Mialhir National Wildlife Refuge. If you're there in June, it is mosquito heaven um, or hell. <laughs> and so I can walk in my mosquito netting bubble over my umbrella and be totally, you know, pest free. Do you ever come across people that, that look at you and see you with your umbrella and you're nutting and they're just like, wow, what's that? Are they, they're, maybe they're jealous though. Yeah, yeah, it depends. I think when I, I hiked the trail in 2016, even just the sight of a long distance backpacker was very strange. Mm -hmm. Like Eastern Oregon is not a traditional backpacking um, type of, of area. But all those strange looks and that curiosity was actually really exciting because people would ask questions, they would stop and, and have a million sort of, of questions for you. They would offer water and fruit and it ended up that, that weirdo walking across the desert provoked a lot of cool conversations. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So is there a, a, an ideal season or a season that you recommend uh, for folks? Um, spring and fall are the best times. Summer can be extremely hot out along the route. Um, winter, they're, you know, on high snow years, you could maybe ski tour the whole thing. We've had someone snowshoe and the real big winter a couple of years ago, snowshoe the first 200 miles. Um, but I say spring and fall. And I think fall even has a slightly larger weather window. Sometimes we won't get snow or significant snow until quite late mm -hmm. December. So your window could be larger in the in the fall. Gotcha. So you, you earlier you, you talked about uh, the the segments. So how how many total segments do you have? And is that how a lot of people end up doing it? Is just just doing segments of it? Yeah. So we have twenty five sections, and each section ranges between about twenty and forty miles. And so yes, yeah, section hiking or hiking differently throughout the route is is getting to be more popular. Way. That's actually how I hiked it, and I think it allows for choosing the segment in the best season. So, for example, now hiking in um, near Bend uh, in the spring is fantastic, but you get to Steens Mountain, almost 10,000 feet, and you're still dealing with considerable snow. And so a good reason a section hike is pick your direction, pick your season, and just knock it off one little bit at a time. I also want to mention the multi-sport aspect of it. Um, so there are three rivers you could paddle. Like when I was out, I paddled the Owyhee 140 miles as, as a water alternate. There are places, all those dirt roads you could bike. There's, there is a lot of equestrian use in some areas of the trail, especially the Steens. Um, and then skiing, you know, we have um, a lot of people like to ski up the Steens or explore other areas so really you don't even have to just go on foot or in the same season we're really trying to to open it up to other forms of quiet recreation other types times of the year and you also have a reason to go back mm -hmm. you may have hiked steens but you've never skied steens or you've not paddled the donner and blitzen river um, so there's a reason to visit the high desert more than once. Um, so is, is there, um, you know, for lack of a better term, and you probably like all of them equally, but you know, if somebody wants to get out there and see like, oh, I really want, you know, canyon lands and an easier trail, um, do you, I mean, do you have favorites or, you know, sections you recommend to people who, you know, want to see a certain type of train? Yeah, I mean, it really, a lot of it depends on your skill level and what kind of experience you're looking at. Um, in addition to the skills rating, we developed a skills progression this year. So 
Um, I like to suggest for hikers who like trail, are not quite comfortable with cross-country travel, to start um, in the Fremont Forest. So sections seven and eight in our route tie into about 60 miles of lovely single track trail, great views, water, shade, and that's a fantastic place to spend a week out and get a taste. And then we have a bunch of suggestions for how to ramp up your skills and maybe try something a little harder. Um, I think the Waihi, just for its remoteness and um, the Slot Canyon aspect, and actually a lot of the route travels on the rim, so you're a thousand feet above the river below, and then water can be an issue in accessing, going down to the river and accessing the water, um, but it's quite stunning. I would say the end section, section 25, that starts in Leslie Gulch, goes near the Honeycombs area and up and over to Lake Oahe State Park is absolutely fabulous mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, so let's see here. What, what, what would you say are the, and maybe you already are already touched on it, but what would be kind of the easiest, most user-friendly segments? So the segments with trail, I would start with the Badlands Wilderness is a great spot, really close to Bend. Um, the Steens Mountain Wilderness, so the route goes up Big Indian Gorge, which is about eight miles of fantastic trail in a glaciated gorge. Steens is a great option for just wanting to, to taste what the route is like, what the desert is like, but be on a trail. Okay, so those are two two easier options. What are what are some uh, more challenging? You know, if you got people who really want to push themselves, whether it's navigation or you know having to make certain miles to get to a water source. What are, what are the more challenging uh, sections? Yeah, the water section actually between Bend and Paisley is the driest section. That's 160 miles. And so we have some um, suggestions for water caching. So we've worked with the BLM on um, identifying a couple areas that people, hikers, might like to cache water. We actually have a few trail supporters in Summer Lake who are helping hikers with water as well. So that's, that's a big challenge in that section is um, I hiked that section in the fall and was carrying about three gallons of water, which is a lot on your back. Um, and then again, like I mentioned, the West Little Owyhee and the Slot Canyon aspect, that can be really challenging. Even in the fall, very low water, there will be pools of water you'll have to swim through. Um, and then bushwhacking. So the, I've been able to reroute a few sections of the trail that go through some heavy, heavy brush, but actually descending from Steens Mountains down off of Wild Horse Lake is one of the most frustrating sections. We've actually tied into the desert trail route, which was um, the predecessor uh, designated as a national recreation trail in 92, but it's actually still a route. Very, very thick sagebrush that you're pushing through. But then when you get to that road, dirt road on the other side, you are very grateful for a roadwalk. <laughs> so. And for those who don't know, I mean, I, I've hiked through sagebrush and it is an experience kind of unlike anything else. Do you describe that a little bit? It is, it can be very abrasive. So I actually like to hike in a skirt and I wear tall gaiters, snow gaiters, um, to help protect my legs. I have actually had sagebrush draw blood. Like when you're pushing through and they're very sharp, um, it can be very unpleasant. And another gear tip, a sun umbrella and tall gaiters when you are bushwhacking. 
um, in, yeah, I'd say brush your tall grasses. Do you have a favorite stretch trail? I would say the biggest surprise for me was hiking on Diablo Rim, which is on the east side of Summer Lake. So Winter Rim is stunning um, if you know the Summer Lake area, but on the other side there is a thousand foot long fault um, that I hadn't really internalized or thought about and I got up there and saw what I thought was a huge herd of pronghorn, but they just ran off the edge of this thousand foot cliff and I thought, what? And I, I go, I peek over the edge and realize it's a herd of bighorn sheep. And it was just incredible. And you look east and you can't see any traces of humans. And it's almost like you can see the curvature of the earth. And that view is just stunning. So anything, anything else you think folks should know about the Oregon Desert Trail, either if they're planning for it or just to, just to know that it's out there? I mean, how, are you getting more people who are out there hiking it? Yeah, I'd say it's a, it's a slow, steady growth. Um, we're working closely with our land management agencies um, with this idea of a route, and that's not a trail, and it's kind of a newer idea. Um, and so I think a lot of it is setting realistic expectations, like just know the challenges when you go out there, spend some time on our website. We have a ton of resources. There are actually a lot of hikers who have made videos or written blogs about their hikes, and so that's a great way to um, understand what someone else experienced out there. And I'll, I'll give one plug for a really hilarious video series. Um, Christoph Tuscher ran the Oregon Desert Trail in 2016. He completed it in 17 days and 15 hours, um, but I think what's it, he just has a crazy funny sense of humor and put together these silly videos um, that are just uh, give you a good picture of the pain but also the beauty and reward of, of experiencing the high desert. That's about it for this episode of the Explore Oregon podcast. If you like what you've heard, make sure to tell your friends and family. Quite simply, more listeners means we get to make more episodes. You can find previous episodes at statesmanjournal.com explore. And as always, the latest news from Oregon's outdoors at statesmanjournal.com outdoors. Thanks for listening.